Welcome to Shoot the Defense, another episode. I'm your host, Stel. I've got Steve Air, Scott Wooten, and a happy Wayne. Oh, Jesus Christ, hell has frozen over. Steve, how you doing? I'm really good, Stel. You, mate? Yeah, I'm buzzing, mate. I'm absolutely buzzing. I've had about four cups of coffee in the past three hours, so I'm um, wired right now. But yeah, Scott, you good? Yeah, so good over here, mate. Yourself? Yeah, sweet as a nut, mate. What, the, the background's changed. You've gone back to your original yeah. setting. Yeah, I always uh, have to play, see where the missus is, you see. See where she's watching telly, get as far away as possible. So Don't blame you. Don't blame you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what's, she watching? what's she watching now? There isn't any uh, Love Island anything on no, these days. No, we just started that um, vigil. Is it vigil? Everyone's been going on about. So yeah. I don't like to... Um, I don't like to watch things week to week. I have to watch it all in one go. So right, okay. She's just, uh, just catching up on an episode that I seen. I watched there the other day. So fair enough. Wayne, do you know about this show? Have you heard of it? You're, nah, you're good with your TV channels, man. No, nah, it's one that I haven't. I'm assuming what Netflix or Amazon, maybe one of them. No, it's a BBC one, I think. Okay, so it's on Sky anyway. I, I seen it on Sky. Fair enough. Um, but I'm hearing good things about it, so I'll uh, I'll let you know. Wayne's really good with his uh, TV shows, man. I've seen updates. I've seen updates. Normally, normally, but I think with sports all coming back now, obviously American sports have been following the NFL. That's kind of kicked into gear. Obviously, Premier League is now ongoing. All of the leagues around Europe are going on. I've kind of had to take a step back from TV, TV, and kind of just focus on the sports at the minute because everything's interesting. Have you not got petrol, by the way? You not filled up? <laughs> Is everyone all right with their with their diesel and all that? Yeah, no. Well, yeah, but it's just joking. It like it shows you the power of the uh, of the media. Like it does my head. Honestly, mm. the media can put anything on BBC News at ten o'clock tonight, and the whole country just believe everything they say. Yeah. It's it's embarrassing. Like. Yeah. I have enjoyed. I've enjoyed some of the uh, some of the images, though. I think there's like some footage of someone filling it up in like a bucket or something to put in some some like, milk <sighs> containers or whatever at the back of their <laughs> at the back of their boot. So, well, Rod lives in the middle of nowhere, so I'm sure he gets uh, endless amounts of uh, diesel and unleaded. I bet he's drinking some now as well. <laughs> People queuing up and that's bell ends. Just bell ends. Mate, it's crazy. Like London is the worst for it. London is the worst. Wait, which part are you from, man? I'm in North at the minute. I'm in um I'm in Finchley. Um North oh, Finchley. You're, you're so, like 20 minutes away from me, man. Yeah, I was um, so we've got like a petrol station around the corner, which is like also an MS. Um oh, we're going to live in Finchley. We have to we have to make it sound we have to make it sound better than it is. But no, <laughs> there was um there was like queues there for like hours, absolute hours. But no, I agree with what Scott said. The news the media have just have just panicked everyone into just going to buy buy it unnecessarily, man. Steve Steve walks everywhere so he doesn't have to worry about petrol. <laughs> Nowhere to go. Went, into, went into the shell guys yesterday. I says, "Boss, when's when when when's the petrol going to be coming in?" He says, "Oh, bath uh, could be three months, could be two months." I went, "What? To get petrol?" You know, they they the trained up the drivers and went, "Boss, I don't want to know that. I just want to know when you get petrol." <laughs> he started giving me a sub story. Went, oh, whatever. Went into Tesco. He went, "It'll be in tomorrow." They've all got it, even like some of yeah. the supermarkets, they, they've been telling staff that staff can refuel. So they, they they close them and then when the staff finish work, they can go in there and refuel. So they yeah, still got the stuff like people just panic. Like, like uh, well, I, I didn't obviously hear, but by the sound of like Scott says, media nonsense. Do you yeah. know what? I've got a theory. Yeah. Fine, all yeah. of this was started by the Manchester Evening News. And they got links with Man City. City want to buy Harry Kane. So you sell all this fuel, you know, <laughs> Mansour gets his money and he buys Harry Kane in January. There you go. See? It keeps playing the way he's playing. They'll get him in a bargain phase. It's all, it's all interlinked, like WWE. There's all, there's a story. There's always, I'll tell you what, let's talk about football, man. Come on. Right, let's, let's, let's start with Man City, actually, Steve. Got a good win against Chelsea. Um, yeah. I saw the lineup. Gabriel Jesus started, scored the winner, and it's kind of destroyed the myth that Guardiola cannot play against Tommy Tickle. 
Yeah, well, well, Tuchel and Chelsea have had City's number recently uh, at Wembley and obviously in the Champions League final. But Stamford Bridge has been a, a good ground for Pep Guardiola, Kevin De Bruyne, and 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 his rest of his teammates. And I actually there was a there was a flagship game a couple of years ago where City won, and it really you know put their you know supremacy on the line and showed everybody who was the best team. And obviously at weekend it is only one game, but their mindset and their mentality. I watched the game on the television still and you're happy if you can get the first five minutes of possession after the kickoff and you think, oh, we've settled here. But this carried on for an hour. Um, Chelsea didn't have a shot. Uh, and City, City was just like a, a routine home game playing away at Stamford Bridge. They were absolutely brilliant and there was no arrogance as such, a little bit of arrogance, but it was just comfortable and confident and and at times sublime and, and Jamie Carragher summed it up uh, on Sky before City battered Chelsea despite it only being 1-0. There's a much different City if you want to talk about performance-wise compared to last week against Southampton. Uh, unlucky, well, Southampton were, were unlucky not to come away with all three points at, yeah. at the Etihad. I was going to say main road there for crying out, that shows how old I am. But um, yeah, as I said, much uh, different Manchester City. What do you think was the main difference from the week before, Steve? Were, was City playing with more intensity, would you say? No, not so much intensity. I think the game at Stamford Bridge was was all about control and, and like maturity and confidence uh, and very, very heavy in, in ball possession, which is defending in itself because you're keeping the ball off the opposition. I think the uh, we're in a bit of a rush uh, against Southampton um, to score despite not scoring, if that makes sense. And I think they weren't controlling the game because they thought they could normally get four or five past Southampton like they do, often teams at the Etihad. So I don't think they had control of the game style. I think, I think there was probably less gaps than Chelsea uh, gave because Chelsea wanted to win the game themselves, so they were open. So Southampton were quite compact. They were good on the break. They should have possibly had a penalty. But I think City were in a rush to get the job done and I think that cost them the control of the performance. Whereas at Chelsea, I think they concentrated on the performance first. Let's just keep the ball off Chelsea for long as possible, huge long periods, and eventually we'll create a chance and score. Then we'll hold on. But they did that with plenty to spare. Scott, um, you look at Man City's front three, they had Foden, uh, Grealish and Jesus. How do you play against three players who kind of switch positions and with a false nine as well. Have you ever played against that kind of system? Not for many, many years. Um, you know, League One Championship, you, you very, really, very rarely come up against some a team that would play that way. But I think watching how they play, it's just concentration because as a centre-back, there'll be long periods of the game where you're not up against anyone. You've got no one to mark. You're not. You're not having to think where is he because they're all in front of you. They're all wide. You know, they're not occupying you. And then all of a sudden, they'll put a bit of injection into the play, and you'll have two of them running behind you. One coming short, where you're thinking you're asking questions of do I go with the runner? Have I got to go in short? And it's just massive, massive concentration um, is the biggest thing to defend against that. Because, like I say, there'll be periods of the game where, especially with Chelsea, you also play three at the back. Defenders nine times out of ten, you want to get close to people. You want to have field contact. You want to you want to make tackles, interceptions. Whereas when City are keeping the ball, it's, it can also it can almost give you a false sense of this is quite easy because you're not up against anyone. And then, like I say, all of a sudden, the Bruyne will get on the ball. Grealish will look up, and you'll have two or three runners in behind. You'll have decision making that happens so so quick, and that's where the, the difficulty comes in. You know, Barcelona would. Brilliant how it went with Messi and he'd drop into the midfield and he'd cause all sorts of problems. And and City are doing that now, you know, the, these questions that you said there, everything they just said. Um, and I listened to Cherry on me as well before on Monday Night Football, all these question marks about City, or oh, they haven't got a recognised striker, can they play with this this so-called false nine, whatever, however people interpret it. But they won the league last year, doing it. So why can't, you know, Aguero didn't really play that much. So, and... Listen, it was an unbelievable performance from City and Carragher as well. And Steve just said, they, they almost said to everyone, everyone's talking about, oh, can United challenge? Chelsea have won the European Cup. They're Chelsea favourites. Uh, Liverpool have got Van Dijk back. And City, have, probably not for the people who watch City regularly, like Steve, are probably not really talking or thinking about City. But I think City just laid a marker down on Saturday and just reminded all the other teams, hang on a minute, 
you know, we can easily win this Premier League title. I agree. Then you, you can never rule out the champions to, to bounce back and, yeah, fight for what they own at this moment in time. But Wayne, let's quickly talk about Chelsea, mate, because... I remember the the 3-0 victory against Aston Villa. Now, this isn't a knee-jerk reaction, but did you see the warning signs there? We saw Aston Villa getting numerous opportunities and obviously Mendy kept Chelsea in that game. Then they went to White Hart Lane and stormed Tottenham, albeit in the second half. So given the performance against Aston Villa in the first half against Spurs, were the warning signs there that a defeat was on the horizon for Chelsea? Um, I would say so, but I think the more disappointing thing for me watching that game this weekend was the fact that Chelsea didn't really give it a go against Man City. Like defen- defensively, we've seen signs like you said against Villa um, in particular, where Chelsea have looked a little bit shaky um, and still come through with a, with a victory. But against Man City, I, th- I thought that they would have a little bit more attacking intent and they nullified City to an extent. I wouldn't say Man City, Man City were good, but they didn't really create a lot of clear chances. And and the goal that came from Gabriel Jesus was a, a little bit of, of magic in the box, quick swivel in, inside the box and a really nice finish. But um, defensively wasn't really the concern for, for me this weekend for Chelsea. It was more in the attack. You spent so much money to bring in Lukaku and you've got these guys around him. And I think out of all of the Chelsea outfield players, he had probably the least touches. And there were a few times where he looked visibly frustrated. There's one in particular where the ball was out on the right-hand side and Aspilicueta just didn't put it into the box and he was mad as hell. So defensively, while while they're playing this back three system, I think it should be enough for Chelsea to keep out enough goals. I'm now more concerned about the attacking side of things because Lukaku can flat track bully the likes of Aston Villa. He done it against Arsenal a few weeks ago as well. But it's against these better teams. If you're not creating anything, he just kind of becomes a bit useless. That's a, that's a very fair point. And we've seen his goal scoring record in the past against the big clubs. Uh, I can't remember the last time he scored against Liverpool. can't remember the last time he scored against City. can't remember the last time he scored against... Man United when he was uh, at Everton or was it West Brom the last time he scored against? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Rod, just a question on the strikers. Gabriel Jesus obviously got big responsibilities stepping in. I know he's not going to be Aguero's light for light replacement, but he's effectively taken that mantle as a or the only striker really at the club. So who's under more pressure, Jesus or Lukaku? Do you think to perform? Oh, Lukaku, definitely. Jesus is is. is you know, he can, he, he can play up front, yes, but, you know, he can play in numerous positions. Um, Lukaku's got a big price tag. All the things you just mentioned, he couldn't score against the top, big top clubs. He can get a kick against Liverpool. He can get a kick against City. So, like Wayne says, he, he is like a flat back bully. He's a, he will, he will uh, be the, 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 the lower teams, but the bigger teams that he struggles against. That's the facts say that history tells you that. So yeah, he's got a lot to do. And you know, it's a big price tag as well. You know, Ronaldo's come for more or less nothing. He's 35 and he's scored more goals than him, I think. So yeah, it's um you know Chelsea people are sleeping on City. No, no one can match City's quality apart from Liverpool. And if Liverpool got the strongest, I really do believe that's United are nowhere near Chelsea, are nowhere near when these teams perform at the highest level. Liverpool, you know, they struggle with the squad if they get injuries, but City, you know, they're just like a well machine. They can play two 11s. And yes, Chelsea have that, but just not uh, that quality, as you've seen on Saturday, because City just easily won. Yeah, and Steve, let's talk about Aston Villa being Man United for the first time in 12 years at Old Trafford. Um, a goal from a set-piece, and believe it or not, Villa have got a set-piece coach. So, uh, I don't know, a lot of people are going to be saying, oh, you were laughing still at having a set-piece coach, and look what's happened, Villa scored the winner. But let's be 100% honest, United can't defend corners for shit, can they? Well, 
I'm, I'm going to hand it all over to to Scott, who defends corners in League One in the in every week. Rod, who watches Man United more, but you know, you know this set piece coach. Well, Man United have got one as well. So yeah, and he was uh, giving instructions to Dallow. Absolutely, he doesn't so, take any set pieces. So what so, the hell's so, going on there? So, so where the, where there's a set piece coach gaining kudos for one team, there's one losing kudos for the other because one's one's conceded from one. Um, but it was it was, you know, what game of foot what game of football have you ever or never seen in our lives or going back a hundred years where an in swinging corner goes towards the front post and your biggest player flicks it on somewhere near the goal. When has there ever been a game of football that this has never happened? I watch it every week, week in, week out, year in, year out. You don't need a set play coach to uh, arrange that. You've just got to spend time practising on it. And for me, I agree with the set pieces because I know how much they, they can win you and lose you a game. But I think every time I hear this word set piece coach and I see the lad from Loughborough University from Man United, I see the lad who was working with Scotland and Northern Ireland with Aston Villa. Good luck to him, get on with him. But what does that say about the rest of the coaching staff? Because Man United have got six at least. If you count Darren Fletcher, it's seven who've all played the game in Champions League Cup finals. Michael Carrick and Mick Phelan have got over a thousand games in centre midfield. Um, Dean Smith played the game. John Terry was at Aston Villa last year. But all of a sudden we've got to employ set play coaches. For me, good luck to them, lads. But it says nothing for the staff who are already in place. What are they doing? And to be honest, Steve, it wasn't a smash and grab victory, was it, for Villa? They had their opportunities. And for me, they deserved, deserved the win. And as we were saying before the show, I had a feeling that they were going to go to Old Trafford and get the points anyway. Yeah, you did. Um, and again, we've got, we, we've got insight. We've got you know, a bit of knowledge. But I really like mentioning Carragher Neville. But he's absolutely nailed it. Manchester United, the separation in that football club more than ever, anything I've seen in my life. I'm nearly 50. They've now become a one-team hero, where they've always had eleven heroes. Um, they're not. A, they're not a team. They talk about having special moments, but City, United, and Chelsea play in units, departments, and as a team. Manchester United don't play uh, as a team, and everyone that plays against them are set up as a, as a team. And I just think this fanfare of Ronaldo is probably he'll be in the running to be the PFA Player of the Year as an individual but at the team's cost. And I think Gary Neville has, uh, has outed it today. Rod, United struggled to get any change out of uh, Villa's centre-backs. Konsa, Hauser and Mings were absolutely fantastic. Cash and target, you know, the wing-backs, brilliant. Ramsey, full of energy. McGinn, Douglas Louise and Ings and Watkins up front gave, gave United all sorts of problems. But, you know, on the balance of play, got to say Villa deserved it. Um, but let's talk about that penalty. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about Fernandez missing it. A lot of talk about people saying, well, you know, Ronaldo should have taken it. For me, I think he's the designated penalty taker, so he's got to take it, no? Yes. Yeah, he just bottled it. He's, the pressure's got to him. He just, you know, when have you ever seen him just blast it like that? Well, someone, I don't know, I forget his name, but he, you're obviously going to find someone on social media, but he put up this um, this thread of Bruno Fernandes' penalties. And he was saying there's a pattern that whenever it comes to a high-pressure situation, he always blasts it. He always levers it. Which is not necessarily a bad thing <laughs> if it's on target and clear the step for them. But, yeah, it's, you know, you still back him, even oh, wow. though you get... Even though you get another penalty, I'd still want him to pick up and take it. You, you wouldn't want him to say, no, I don't want it. That would be the last thing you want him to do. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because just you, watching it, I don't agree with you that Villa were the better team. United, you know, we've, as soon as Greenwood come on, if you make runs beyond, beyond the back four, you'll create chances. Marshall didn't do that once. Greenwood was on for 30 seconds and he got a chance one-on-one. You're saying Mings and the other centre-half. They didn't have nothing to do. They just stood there. There was no one no to mark. Marshall was just jogging around. Don't, he's just a waste of space. He's a waste of time. As soon as you get a bit of energy up there and a bit of threat, then you cause problems. And Yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't United's day. And, and Villa, 
yeah, they, they deserve something, but a win, I don't know, but you know, they'll take it and, and it, you know, it was, it was a good result for him. But United should have won that easily, easily, and, and, and they didn't. It just alarm bells ringing because to lose three games, you know, in a week or 10 days, you know, at any club is, is a crisis. But when it's at Manchester United, you know, the alarm bells start ringing loud and clear. So, like you say, there's no pattern of play. You, you, you're waiting on individuals. So, yeah, and that starts from the middle of the park. And, you know, a novice can see that. It's just Fred cannot play football. But Tomine, yeah, he's a good he's, he's a good player. He, 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 we've seen it before. He can do it. But you need someone along with him next to him. You can't do it, Fred. Now, the thing is, uh, I remember watching uh, this clip of Pogba coming off the pitch against West Ham. And some West Ham fans were giving him a bit of stick. And Michael Carrick was laughing, pretending to pull him away. Mike Phelan was doing the same. And you could tell there's a, there's a big camaraderie between the players. But you've got there's got to come a point where you're thinking, where's the leadership there? Where's the person that's going to intimidate the players? Or show some respect. Scott, we spoke about Oli the first time he came on the show. And you said that, you know, he's a ruthless kind of guy. But do you think he got away? What was it? Got away with it. But do you think he was more effective at your level, because he was talking to the youngsters, whereas now he's got players that have won World Cups and have done it at the highest level, and they're probably looking at him thinking, I know you're a club legend, mate, but you don't really have it in you like Fergie does. Would that be fair to say, or am I being a bit harsh here? No, I think you've got a point, um, especially when you compare him to, to Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, obviously, they're not the same types of character. Like I say, Ollie, I've seen it firsthand, can be ruthless, but... He just doesn't have that aggressive sort of aura um, about him. He's, he's you know, obviously the baby face and there's a nice smile and that is, is what he's sort of known for. And, and that's true. You know, he is a nice guy. And I think you could have a point, yeah. You know, there's certain things that might happen. Listen, we're not behind closed doors, but I was there under Sir Alex Ferguson. and I seen the discipline and, and the, the fear that he put in. He'd walk into the canteen and everyone would be, you'd shut up instantly, do you know what I mean? Because you just wouldn't want to even contemplate stepping out of line or, or laughing, joking, uh, doing anything wrong. Uh, and listen, I'm not saying that the players don't do that there now when Ollie walks in or he has that authority, but listen, comparing him to Alex Ferguson, of course, it's, it's not going to be the same. Um, and I, like I think Rodri said, they're losing three games in a week for United. It's just, I've got two sort of, sort of thoughts on this. One is City lost to Southampton at home last week and they beat Chelsea this week and it's forgotten about they, they drew Southampton. They, they drew Southampton. They, oh, they, they should have lost. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry. My bad, yeah. My bad. They drew it up. They should have lost. Sorry. They, they should have dropped points at home and it's like crisis, disaster. United have done the same. They've obviously dropped points at home and it's like, oh, well, if, if, they, if they go on now and win five on the bounce, no one will really be talking about it. They're still one point off the top of the league. This is the typical modern day overreaction. Oh, they've lost the game. But I do, I, I just don't think, I think City and others are in a much better place I agree with the lads that there's just sort of not quite clicking. I don't like Pogba on the left. I just don't think it works. You know, there's always going to be question marks over Fred and McTominay, even though we know Ollie trusts him in the big games. There's just something. If United are serious about winning the league, they can't be losing to Villa and West Ham in the space of a week. It just, just can't happen. I agree. With it. But the thing is, I think the game changed when Luke Shaw went off, or the game changed for United anyway, when Luke Shaw went off injured. Uh, because when you're bringing on a, a right-footed left-back, he's constantly bringing the ball in his right-hand side, pr- trying to bring it in all the time. It gets predictable. And if he wanted that, he should have just kept Ashley Young. Mm. Well, we talk about this all the time. Though. You, when you lose that balance, it, affect, it does affect the team, especially mm. with Luke Shaw, which has been, which been probably one of the better players of United. So, yeah, he's going to be a big miss because, like I say, he's, he's up there, he assists. He's good energy up that up. On that left hand side, so you're gonna miss him, but um, yeah, it's just like Scott says, it's just something just not quite right. And it's you know, we got excited and got a bit over like excited with the Ronaldo thing, but it's just back to reality. Yes, probably Champions League will probably walk that group, but it's just early signs that, that, that just remind you of you know, of the last two years of getting to, to, to finals to semi finals and just falling short. And, you know, it's a small window with the players, some of the players we've got. So, 
you know, is it time? Is it time to be ruthless? No, I don't think it's that time yet. But you know, it's it's it's, it's not good at Man United. You don't lose three in a week. It just doesn't happen. If it does, you know, there's a big, big reaction. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, the thing is, if this happened under Mourinho or Van Gaal, the knives would be out. But I think with with Solskjaer, we know that. He's the, the, the appointment of the owners. He's the guy in the, the major project. But the one question I want to end this segment <clears> on is Darren Fletcher's role. Now, people are going to say to me, what's Darren Fletcher got to do with it? Well, he's a technical director, but yet he's wearing a tracksuit and he's on the pitch before the games in the warm-ups and he's in, in, in the tra- on the training pitch. I don't see Sally Hamidzic on the pitch at Bayern Munich or any other technical director, Jordi Cruyff at Barcelona. I don't see it. So what, what's going on there? Am I missing something? Uh, well, for me, it's, it, this this comes down to the manager. You know, mm. he, he shouldn't be training. Yeah, you know, he's not, he's not a professional footballer. He should be sticking, sticking, doing his job and bringing the right players in, or whatever his job is. It's not to be on the bench with a tracksuit, uh, trying to coach or give people instructions or whatever. And I'm sure he's not doing that. He's just sat there, you know, just being busy. For me, just being busy. What's he sat on the bench for? He's not a coach. He's a technical, whatever he is, director. So, yeah, it's, it's a frustrating. But that comes down to the manager. He, he's the head on show. He, he, he allows it all. So It doesn't make no sense to me, man. Steve? No, it, doesn't. it wouldn't happen with Reno. It wouldn't happen with Fergie. It wouldn't happen with Van Gaal. But this is the problem that probably... <clears throat> People in football think that you know Ollie is just soft touch. I don't know. Just, just don't know. That, that, that's what I think anyway. I don't think Bagiristan will be on the bit on the pitch anytime soon at the Etihad, will he? No, I really don't. I really don't. Uh, but equally, there's no you know hard and fast proof of of, of of identity of how you should behave if you're in your football club um, and you have a position. You know, if you want to do it standing on your head. That's up to you, but, but I think Rodri hit, hit it perfect there. It's what the manager allows, and, and where does it stop? And, and Scott as well, I think we've stumbled across something superbly to, to compare Ali Gunnar Solskjaer when he was Man United development coach. But Alex Ferguson was still manager of the club, so he was still manager of those reserve players. You know, So to then think that he was manager of Manchester United material for the future, uh, he then went on to get relegated with Cardiff, you know, not over, overly successful as such in in Norway, in his own country. And now all of a sudden, it's like the Gremlins film, Daylight or Water, and the dugout is swelling at Old Trafford. Darren Fletcher's in a tracksuit. A set-piece coach has come from Loughborough University. And I just think it undermines the manager, the assistant, and the first-team coach, Solskjaer, McKenna, Phelan and Carrick. If they then need extra on top of that, they're obviously not doing enough themselves. Do you think, Steve, obviously you've been in that environment, like the first team coaching, do you think there could be too many voices? Absolutely. Well, we don't know. We're only guessing, you know, you play every Saturday, but one thing I learned a long time ago is that players have got, you know, a very short capacity of what they want to hear, what they can process. At half time, I think it was actually Alex Ferguson that said, just got to limit all your points and just choose your best three in that 15-minute period. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know, but... I'm not too sure there's too many voices at Man United. I only think there's voices when they win. And when they lose, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems very isolated, very lonely. He walks down that touchline to the corner flag on his own. But when they win, they all want a piece of it. There's certainly too many bodies. Um, that That's for sure. Um, you don't really know Pep Guardiola's staff. I know they're not from England, but we don't know them. You don't know Jurgen Klopp's staff. You probably have to go on the internet to find out the names. And we know all the all these Manchester. They've all got heritage at Manchester United, but they all seem like really, really nice lads. Mike feeling older, birthday last week. A really nice man with good experience. Carrick, a nice lad, nice player. Kieran McKenna, nice lad, coach at Tottenham, Loughborough University, set piece coach. You don't win a Premier League with that. I'm just don't think. I just don't believe you do. Still, if we put this environment 15 years ago. Do you really think Mike Phelan will be tweeting the shit he's tweeting? It, ju- it just wouldn't happen. No. It just wouldn't happen. No. But then you look at the state of the club. If you look at the you know social media, for example, perfect example. You know, the, the guy that runs Man United social media is the guy that created Sporth. 
the, one of the biggest clickbait organizations. And you're seeing, you know, this this tweet about Bruno Fernandez saying, oh, you know, I'll bounce back. And then these little photographs of all the United players, like, messaging him with hearts and I'm no like, but that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a group message i don't know how that shouldn't have come i don't know how that's got out because that's been leaked out every, every team has a, a whatsapp group or a no that, that was that instagram that, that's for yeah, every, everyone has a group though yeah but everyone you know that's not i don't i just i've been worried how that's got out because that's just the teammate thing sure? I, I thought that was on instagram for everyone to see mm. i think it's mess just messages one it no i'm sure oh, it was oh, because it was I, I, don't, I don't see a problem with it. You know, he's, he's coming out and being open, being honest. You know, it's the world we live in. Lads, Gary Neville's, Gary Neville's had a great day. He's also come out and said that um, social media, obviously he's not shy of it, but equally um, it's being used by footballers for cosmetic, insincere apologies to say sorry. Um, and it's it just doesn't wash with him. And... Uh, the more people stand up to it, the better. And uh, he's, he's had a really good day in my eyes. Him. And the Herrera was the best for that. Every time there was a loss, the moment the full-time whistle blew, you'd see And the Herrera. <laughs> and obviously he's not in his PR company, but anyway, whatever. You know, we, we've banged on about United for, for too long. Let's talk about a club that's that's in a happier place at the moment, Wayne. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about Arsenal. You know, we, sh- we should really you know, use more of our time talking about Arsenal because we, we've been mean to them. We've we've pulled them apart. But, hey, listen, I said that they would get at least, at least 13 points out of the next possible 15. And they've got nine out of nine at the moment. And you absolutely demolished Tottenham. Tottenham never win at the Emirates. I don't know why people were doubting it. Um, what are your thoughts on the game, my friend? Because the first half, it was just carnage. It was great. It was... It's something that I think the Arsenal fan base has needed for since the beginning of this season. Obviously, everything started rough against Brentford. Chelsea and, and Man City, you can kind of look by the results a little bit. The Man City performance wasn't the best, but um, you kind of expect that we're not going to win those games against Chelsea and Man City anyway. Come up against Norwich and Burnley and we kind of made it tough for ourselves. So I think that the nerves from the Arsenal fan base were mainly because a, it's a North London derby. We're nervous against Spurs at the best of times. And B, we've not looked good at all this season. But this the first half was fantastic. It, it reminded me of the United game that we played under Wenger against Van Gaal. And we blitzed them 3-0 in the first half there as well. Some of the football we played that day, it was similar yesterday. And I think it was the first time this season we've managed to put... 1-11, to 11, our best squad out on the pitch. No sort of debates, no, well, someone's in the wrong position or this person is suspended or injured. 1-11, to 11, it was our, our, our best lineup, most balanced. And I think we saw that with the performance. And some of that football in the first half was fantastic. Whether we can continue it on for the remainder of the season, that's going to be, that's going to be the, the ongoing issue. So talk to me about this back line then, because your back five have been brilliant. One goal conceded in the last three league games. I know White had a little bit of a shaky start to the, his Arsenal career, but Gabriel's come back in and all of a sudden, people have forgotten who Saliba is. <laughs> who is this guy? Uh, well, yes, Saliba is one that is going to probably, as soon as... Ben White or Gabriel make a mistake, his name will be back. But um, no, this back five have, have been performing well. And I thought yesterday, outside of the goal, we weren't really we weren't really troubled defensively. I think the best thing about this defence for us is we're well balanced. Tomiyasu doesn't like to really get forward too much. He likes to tuck in really good off both feet. Ben White is a fantastic ball player. I know it, it's the reason we signed him. But I don't think he's being given enough credit for the way that he sprays passes up the field. And I think the big thing for us this summer was David Luiz leaving. And everyone kind of laughs at David Luiz for his mistakes and the red cards and some of the errors that he made, particularly with us at some of the later stages. But um, his passing really helped us. It helped us when we were being pressed. It helped us get up the field and it helped us create chances. And Ben White has taken that mantle and is, is doing well with that. And Gabriel just, after his first season where at times he kind of looked shaky but had moments, he's looking like a leader now, which is fantastic. And 
hopefully he he and the rest of the defense can can continue i think the best part about yesterday was we created a lot of chances and kieran tierney wasn't really involved normally when we're flowing and, and creating a lot of chances in a game it's kieran tierney and cutbacks kieran tierney crossing it in and hoping for the best but he had a quietly good game and he wasn't our only outlet out on that left hand side so positive we've got brighton up next so that'll be tough and, and we'll just go on from there on hopefully what is a favorable run yeah, and Brighton sneaked the last minute equaliser. It was a 95th minute or something like that against Palace. Yeah. I've just seen it. It was the most remarkable goal. It was the most amazing goal. Route one, oh. yeah. What's this? <laughs> Brighton have just scored in the 95th minute while you were chatting before. And um it it, it was it was unbelievable, Rod. What's what the, the turn of events. Yeah, goalkeepers kicked, didn't even clear the well, just about clear the halfway line, didn't it? And then Pallet, uh, Brian knocked it back, <laughs> and then the striker put it away, right? <laughs> what do you want me to do it that quickly? You, you wouldn't need, that wouldn't happen at Scott's level at the moment. It would go, it would like, it would go junior school level. This is what I'm saying. What happens for Rod, yeah, and Scott, yeah. The goalkeeper of Crystal Palace has been fouled in the 95th minute, fouled. So you know that the game is pretty much over. So he goes down and has a little bit of treatment. He places the ball round about the penalty spot and he's got one kick of the ball left and the game's over. They've won 1-0. The whole of the Crystal Palace team move over to his right. So he kicks it to the right wing. And you know yourself, it's not even bad if he kicks it out for a throw-in. He's ended up kicking it straight into the centre circle a Brighton centre-half or right-back has stepped forward and volleyed its side foot straight back to where it's come from and Mopé has outstripped the whole of the Crystal Palace back four and lobbed the keeper and hit the back of the net and they've not even kicked off. 1-1. One, one. Wow. Yeah, you need to see it. Very good. Brilliant. I love this game. <laughs> <laughs> Literally last minute, Steve, yeah. He's only got to kick it to anywhere to his right, the game's over. If he kicks it into row C, it's over. But because he, get, he kicked it and the game got kept alive, two more touches, two more touches later, it's in the back of his net. <laughs> um, that, that's, that's kind of harsh. On, well, from what I saw for the first 60 minutes before jumping on with you guys, that's kind of harsh on Palace because they looked kind of good. It's, it's, a, it's a tough industry, isn't it? Yeah. Life comes at you fast. Man. <laughs> manager, Jesus, Steve. Um, last week with Lee Clark, we were talking about Odegaard and Smith Rowe, uh, mm. and uh, Saka. These three players, twenty, twenty-one, and twenty-two years old, bright future ahead of them. And the way that they bossed Tottenham was was absolutely remarkable. Their movement, their pace, the creativity. Spurs had absolutely nothing. Then when you look at Tottenham's midfield of Hoiberg, Ali, and Ndombele, who people reckon is one of the best technical midfielders in the league, they had nothing on those three youngsters, did they? Well, no. And uh, out of position, uh, they were um, all over the place. Deli Ali wanted to be a centre-forward and was either tactically put there or went there off his own accord. Then Bolly went to the left wing and Holberg was uh, moving to the side of the centre-half to, to get on the ball. So when they eventually lost the ball, there was absolutely no midfield and, and Arsenal... I think we should probably mention Partey coming back into the team. It definitely helps the energy in front. And you only presume that Smith, Rowe and uh, Saka will get better each week, each month, each season, because they're so young, so 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 football hungry uh, and play on the front foot and, and at the very least want to travel with the ball and, and commit you. So very exciting to watch. And it was their day, clearly. And my screen just froze for a second. They're right. Scott, um, Everton, good win, man. 2-0 against uh, Norwich City. Andros Townsend scoring again this season, which uh, is helping my dream team out now because you get more bonus points for me, which I'm pretty pleased about. Um, but Rafa Benitez doing a good job there, man. Yeah, he's had a great start. Uh, most of my friends are Everton fans um, and they're very, very up and down. They lose a game last week and it's the end of the world. Half the team needs to go. And I'm saying to them, they were one point off top of the league. It's Everton. Like, I feel like some football fans they just forget like who the club is and where they should be. And they, I think Leicester have just ruined it for everyone the year they won the league because it, 
Ah, they wind me up for it. Now they've they've had a great start. Rafa Benitez is, is, I think it's a good job for him. Really, obviously, forget the Liverpool stuff. If you take any emotion out of it, uh, you look at his sort of CV, what he did with Valencia. I think he can take Everton to to really knock on the door of of alongside Leicester and West Ham. Um, the Marty Gray and Andros Townsend have been two fantastic, really good cheap signings for them. Um, and yeah, obviously, there's tough tests to come. We've had a, a reasonably comfortable start. But um, yeah, it's been a fantastic start for them, and uh, we'll see see how they get on for the rest of the season. And like I said, I'm sure there'll be tougher tests along the way, but so far so good. Mm, absolutely, and Rod Liverpool drew three all against Brentford. I don't think anyone saw that result coming. To be fair, but you know what they say: a great game for the neutrals. But a lot of Liverpool fans think that defensively they still got a lot more work to do, and they're going to have problems. They got City next. Uh, is this a case of just fans panicking for nothing? You've got to give credit to um, to Brentford. You know they've, they've beat some you know, Arsenal. It, it seems to have got their acts together now. They beat Arsenal, yes. so they've given Liverpool a good game. They beat Wolves, so you know they'll take a few scalps there. They, they, they seem like a, a good outfit at home, and they'll probably win a few away from home. But um, no, I don't think it's it's you know free away from home. It's it's never good. But no, panic stations. No, just then it's just back to work, getting the training ground and, and see where they went wrong and just work on it. Wayne, you love yourself a bit of Brentford. Have they? How much have they impressed you this season? On a scale of uh, one to ten, with one being the lowest and ten being the highest, <laughs> I would probably give them about an eight out of ten to the start of the season. They've They've just done everything that they've done in the championship and made it look kind of seamless. And I think, as Rod said, he give credit. We have to give credit to Brentford for the performance that they gave against Liverpool because I don't think anyone was really giving them a chance. And the fact that they went down a couple of times in the game and still managed to claw it back, playing not a different brand of football that they've played all season. I think that they deserve the result. And, and that's kind of the biggest thing, that, the biggest compliment that you can pay to them when, when Liverpool come to town. Liverpool defensively weren't the best, sure. But I think Brentford thoroughly deserved the result based off of their own attacking performance. Steve, Newcastle got a draw at Watford, mate. But Christ, that chance at the end for Newcastle... When, he, when they broke through, I forget who who it was. I forget his name, but uh, he made the complete meal of that opportunity, didn't he? Yes. Uh, who was he? I can't. I need to think about the guy. Uh, Jacob Jacob Murphy. Jacob right? Murphy. That's the oh, one. Um. Yeah. They, they they don't look like they can string anything together in Newcastle in terms of like they don't look like they can improve. Um. They look like to me, anyway, that they'll be fifth from bottom. Uh, I don't think they'll go down. I think their home form with the supporters will see them like get enough points to stay in the Premier League and it'll be the age-old argument again of not good enough football, boring, we need you know, a transformation, we need a new manager. But again, that would probably be success in itself, although they did better than that last year. I don't see them putting runs of matches together. I don't see them getting two, three, four goals in a football match ever. And I just see uh, disappointment and frustration more than good times there. So that didn't surprise me that they've had a tight game at Watford one all. I, I don't ever see them jumping still. Scott, Jamie Vardy scored a hat-trick. I know, you know he scored twice in the right end and one in his own goal. Um, <laughs> they got a two-all draw against Burnley. What's going on with Leicester at the moment? The reason why I ask is because I know they've had a few injuries defensively. But surely that can't be the main reason why they're conceding so many silly goals. It, it, it just baffles me how a team that was so compact last season, all right, they did make a few mistakes and they did concede a few silly goals then, but it's becoming more and more rife now. No, I think I think it is the absence of someone like Johnny Evans. I think you'd be amazed at how much, um, we've seen it with Liverpool, with Van Dijk, how much one player can just have a calming influence mm. for the defence. Um, I think Johnny Evans is a, is a fantastic player. Um, I think he has been so consistent for, for so long now in the Premier League. Um, and I think his absence is huge for him. Um, 
But I also think, again, with Leicester, similar to Everton, it's, it's and what we've just seen now, with, or we haven't seen, but Steve's commented on it. It's such a tough, the, the margins are so fine. So they have been so consistently good for the last three, four years since they won the league, Leicester. They're always, you know, Brendan Rodgers has done an amazing job. But they're going to have a little bit, they're having a bit of a dip at the minute. That, that's fine. That's normal. They're not going to be winning every week. But, you know, Burnley are a tough, tough team to play against. It's not just the, the Premier League's not a league where Leicester are. They've done well the last few years. They're missing a few players to turn up and walk all over Burnley. It's just never, ever that easy. It's such a tough, tough industries, fine margins that, you know, they're so thin. And like I say, with the addition to losing, you know, Fafana brought out a big injury the near think he broke his leg early on. Johnny Evans um, missing is huge for them. Um, so I think you put a few of them things together and like I say, the teams are allowed to have a, a bit of a dip in form every now and again because it's impossible. Any team that, well, you know, you look at Man City, even the drop points last week, Man United, the quality they have, they, they, they get beat at home to Villa. It's just not that easy. The team, there's, there's not much between the tops and the bottom. Of, of, of someone outside the top four, like Leicester to go Burnley, it's not that easy to, to just turn up, roll them over. You see, I think the side is down. I think the problem you now Leicester have got now is because is of how well they've done, the expectations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people Absolutely. expect them to be up there now. Psych one start. No, no, you, yeah, you've, you've sort of got what I was, you said what I was sort of getting at because they've done so well and been so consistent. It, it's actually, it's, um, it's very, very good what they've been doing. So now that they're just a little bit off that, everyone's, oh, Leicester, what's going on? Like what Rodri just said, oh, well, why? And they did it to sort of suffer them because of their own success, really, like what Rodri said, because, you know, it's not for Leicester. If Leicester come fifth or sixth again, it'd be absolutely incredible season for them. So, you know, like I say, with the injuries to the defenders and and also how hard it is to maintain them, them levels of performances. That's why I think they're just having a, only a little bit of a stutter. You know, they could they could go on another good run and, and finish really high. It'll be another great season for them. But I completely, Rodri was sort of nailed it. What I was sort of getting at, that the, the success that we've had in, in the previous years um, is obviously is, um, is going against them a little bit at the minute. This is going to sound really ignorant for me to say, but they rely too much, way too much on Jamie Vardy. I'm sorry. Yeah. When when he's not there, they're a completely different team. It's not just uh, the ability to score goals. It's what he does off the ball and how he pulls defenders out of position and the runs that he makes in the channels. They don't have a player like him. So when no. he's not playing, it's almost as if they don't have a plan B. I don't know. Maybe I'm just seeing things. I don't know. It's inconsistent still because I think you accept that they don't really get goals from right wing because Alberton, Al, Al Brighton does brilliant for the team function, but he doesn't really score goals. Uh, Iniacho has that purple patch and he'll have one again, but he's not anyone you can guarantee week in, week out that he's going to score. And, you know, where where is he at the moment? So there's that missing. Madison, you would hope with his position on the field when he plays that you would get eight to ten. He's not even in the team regularly at the moment. So they do ever so well. He's a good coach and they're a very, very good team. They've got a great goalkeeper and a great centre-forward, but they don't half rely on Vardy because the, the other guys have just got so many inconsistencies with their end product, but they obviously are all good for the team profile. There you go. Uh, Wayne, West Ham, good, good win at Leeds United, but Leeds yet to win a game this season. They're in the bottom three and we, we always talk about Leeds United's defensive uh, frailties whenever they lose a game. And I think this weekend just gone just highlights how bad they can be defensive. I know they've got a few injuries here and there, which is understandable. But the marking for Jared Bowen was non-existent. And what Shackle was it? I think it was Shackleton. What was he doing um, with Mikel Antonio? Antonio was always going to be first to that ball. It's shambolic as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think Leeds have been a bit unlucky this season. And I know we've kind of criticised them a few shows ago for their kind of performances and their naivety against the big teams and how they lined up and set up against Manchester United in particular. But I don't know, I've, I felt like 
defensively they had a, a rash moment whether whether Shackleton is aware right it's kind of the last chance that West Ham are probably going to get let me get to this to try and clear it he, he looks like he's maybe panicked a little bit and the form that Antonio's in he's always going to get that and he's he's always he's always going to bury it as well so I, I still I'm still not worried about Leeds too tough the injuries are, are piling up but I do think that they're getting quite unlucky in, in some of these games as well. So I think that that luck is going to have to turn around at, at some point. But huge credit to, to West Ham. And I think the big big thing for them now is going to be how they're going to rotate and how they're going to play with this consistent European football in, in midweek. This West Ham squad isn't the biggest. So they're going to need to make sure they're keeping the likes of Antonio, Antonio Fresh after their Europa League games on, on Thursdays. Yeah, his, his hammy is known to go, apparently. I don't know how true that is, but hey. And finally, Rod, your mate, Raul Jimenez, finally scored after like 300 days. Uh, he got the winner against Southampton for Wolves. It's a big win for Wolves as well. To be honest, that first half, Southampton were quite unlucky, but hey, goal's a goal, win's a win. Yeah, it's, it's like Scott mentioned before, these margins that, you know, are so small, Wolves have played what I've seen, and they played really well and, and not really got any results. So, yeah, it's good to see he, he's got off the mark and just hopefully he gets a header now and then he can just press on because, you know, before the injury, he was a he was getting talented about at the top clubs because he was, he, was, he was a top striker. So hopefully he can regain that. And, uh, yeah, hopefully Wolves can kick on because what I like to say, what I've seen of him, they look decent. They just haven't got that cutting edge. So hopefully he gets... Is scoring boots back? They'll, they'll go on a run now. Is anyone else still unconvinced about Adama Traore? <laughs> because I see this play and I'm thinking, take the pace away from him. Well, he's got, he's got some, he's got some skill, but you know, we've seen. I think we've seen these players come, come and go. You know, he seems to be all pace and just no brains. Just, just everything's just off the cuff. So, you know, unless until the penny drops, you know, he's just going to be a quick play. He doesn't really score, doesn't really assist many for what attributes he does have. So, you know. Spanish international as well, man. I can't believe that. Yeah. He's not the kind of player that you That sounds poor, Spain. I mean, there. I think he'd get in that World Cup side. He wouldn't even get in the reserve squad. Nah, no chance. No chance. Lads, lads, I'm a little bit worried at the moment. Not, well, over-concerned when I'm watching the football. It's getting so much better. The, these goalkeepers with the ball at their feet, um, these centre-halves splitting and sharing it, and this build-up play and ball sharing is brilliant, but the, the Predators are suffering. There's a lot of them suffering because they're not creating enough chances and they're not getting enough practice to score. You know, you look at Harry Kane, you look at Bamford, Rodri just talked about Jimenez, these are absolute goal machines and they're not getting enough practice in games, I don't think. And of course, the best ones will keep doing it with one chance a game, if you're lucky, and they will remain clinical. There are still people like Antonio, who's, who's, who's been that person, but there are so many. I mean, Rodri, you enjoy that position yourself. I, I played with you. I, I Imagine if all the centre-halves were having all the ball all game and, and you weren't getting any chances. You, you, you'd go mad. So I feel for these centre-forwards at the moment in these teams. Teams are getting better. Defenders are getting better. But chances for centre-forwards are becoming extinct. And, and Scott isn't even grinning about this. <laughs> well, I completely agree. I completely agree. These the top teams seem to be a trend now of a lot of it's how it looks and... You know, you hear it around my level of <clears throat> managers don't get certain jobs, even though managers have done great and they've had good success and they've got teams and playoffs or even being promoted, but they don't get that next job because of... The, the Sean Dice is a great example for me. I think he's done an absolutely incredible job, but he didn't get the Everton job. I think he was heavily linked with it um, before Coleman, maybe. And it's because how it looks. This is all about style. It's just how the game seems to run. I, I completely agree. Some of this, you know... Even 10 years ago, when I first started playing, there was a lot of 4-4-2. Most teams played. Now it's 4-3-3, three at the back, diamonds, boxes in midfield. 
uh, centre halves on, on the six yard box from goal kicks. It it just seems to be, you know, these top foreign coaches. That's how they've that was their idea that they brought over, and it seems to be that that's how you know these modern sort of coaches have got to go that way. But the, the sacrifice of that is exactly what Steve just said. That you know, there's less ball for mm. the strikers in the final third than in and around the box because there's oh, a lot more build up play. Chris Wood's not scoring. Imanez, we're delighted he's got one. Kane's not scoring. Lukaku's not had a shot. The the centre forwards are, are starved. What do you think, Rod? Yeah, you know, people like um, if you go back in history, like Les Ferdinand, Andy Cole, they wouldn't have half the goals they've got if it's in, in today's. Yeah, I think we've we've seen it a lot at Arsenal since Arteta's come in. Like the football for us to score a goal or just to get a, a clear chance has to be perfect before your striker can even have a shot on target. And that was a lot of the... I know Aubameyang had a poor season last year, but a lot of the criticism we put on him was because of the fact that we weren't creating enough chances as well. So I completely agree with... with A lot of these strikers are probably being limited because this possession football and the the way that it's being set up and how build-up play is going now, everything has to be spot on. And if you're a striker who isn't Cristiano Ronaldo and you get one chance, this one goal guaranteed, you're going to be slaughtered for the one that you missed rather than the lack of creativity being the talking point and strikers like Aubameyang, Harry Kane, if you create four, five, six chances, they're going to score one or two a game. So yeah, it is a, it is a bit concerning, but I think ever since Pep came came to the Premier League, that's kind of the way that football's been going. Still, did you see that as well? If you get down the side of the penalty area these days, your centre forwards are expected to be in the middle of the goal or get across the front post. But every ball gets cut back now for a goal like Smith Rowe or Son of Tottenham. That's why Harry Kane... He tried to pull back as well, but Son scored the goal first. So they're being even starved of the cross that comes in the box on the floor these days. And Che Adams at Southampton, Armstrong at Southampton, I know they're Pookie at Norwich. It's so hard for these centre forwards now. I just I just think they're all being starved and I'm not sure the game is in a better place for it. Yeah, but you say that, but I think the um the standard of defending from an aerial ability has improved. If you look at the, yeah. most of the central defenders, they can all head the ball these days. Yeah, and that's why that's why lads don't cross it anymore from the mm. wing. They all come to try and get down the side of the 18-yard box. They absolutely fly down there like, like Zabaleta in his pump. And then when they get there, if they're successful, like the Arsenal goal for Smith-Rowe, they pull it back. So Smith-Rowe gets a goal because he's a winger. Son gets a goal. He's, a, he's an attacking striker, but he's not the centre-forward. Uh, and the centre-forward is doing all the donkey work, taking the defender towards the goal and towards to try and get a tap in. The ball's not even coming from there like it used to. Mm. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I remember Unai Emery's first couple of games at Arsenal. There was one game against Chelsea uh, where Mkhitaryan scored that Stamford Bridge. And there was another goal. In fact, it was two all, wasn't it, Wayne? Yeah. Yeah. And both goals were exactly the same. Cut across the, the six-yard box, uh, the penalty spot. If I think... The goal. I think the majority of goals now, particularly in the Premier League, it, it, they're training ground. We used to talk about like corners and free kicks coming from training ground routines. Most open play goals are looking like training ground routines. Yeah. Now, there seems to be a, a lack of, of freestyle and a lack of uh, just allowing players to go out and, and express themselves. I think the quality overall in the league is, is probably better for it, but we are we are missing a little something with with how how rigid and how strict a lot of this tactical approach is. So are you suggesting that there are something called goal scoring coaches now? Well, they, all, <laughs> they always have been, but but the, the, the one who's booking the trend is Antonio. That's why he's in everybody's fantasy league team. That's why he's doing brilliant for West Ham because he powers away and scores. It's, it's power first and then there's now something at the end of it. But the actual fox in the box... I don't know who's playing well as a fox in the box, and I hope that Vardy can can keep the flag flying for those types. There we go. We end it with Jamie Vardy. It's Rebecca Vardy. I'm joking. Right, boys, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Rod, Twitter. Rod James. Shit. Wayne, come on. You're the social media guy. <laughs> You're the guy with about 15 <laughs> accounts. No, seven, only the only the one. No, only the one. Only the one. But uh, on um, 
on Twitter, on Twitch and on YouTube, Wayne's World 20 underscore. Superb. Scott and Steve are the only clever ones out of the five of us. They don't have any social media. But Scott, thanks for jumping on, man. Really appreciate it. And I hope, uh, well, you're going to jump on soon anyway, but I, I wish you the best yeah, for the, the rest of the yeah, season. Actually. Thanks very much, mate. See you Pleasure. later. Take care, mate. Right. Steve, Bye. cheers. Thanks, Thank you, mate. Speaking in a week. Excellent. Later, boys and girls, have a good night. Ta-da. Yeah.